This is the Marty Ray Project Chats, and I'm Marty Ray, one of the hosts of this podcast. You might know me from a beard video, a prank call, or a rap song turned acoustic cover. If you're a real projector, maybe one of my three original albums as well. Regardless of how you know me now, my whole career actually started with a podcast years ago, before everybody had one and back when podcasts got no respect at all. Times have changed a little, and this is me coming back to my roots in a way. And this time, I'm bringing some friends along with me. Like my co-host, Jim Best, Country Music Hall of Fame steel guitar player and producer. He's a good one. Played on a bunch of legendary country music songs that you probably know, probably heard them. If you don't know either of us, thanks for tuning in anyway. I bet you'll love it. Welcome to the project. Download, subscribe, and rate, whether you love it or not. Sound supplied by Roadcaster Pro. Thank you so much, Road. We love you. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Let's chat. She's a banjo-playing comedian that made people sing and laugh on the legendary variety TV show Hee Haw. She was from a family of 23 siblings, and she was the youngest of all of them, just like me. Only there were two of my, in my family, and so almost exactly the same thing, Jim. Welcome to the show, Ronnie Stoneman. Well, thank you. How the, how are you? And we appreciate well, you taking time out of your day for and coming over and doing the show with us. Well, I thank y'all, and I think I'm I'm proud you got to see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we are too. I know Jim is. Oh yeah, always. Yeah, Jim has been a buddy for a long time, and he taught me how to entertain by. Well, he would all, you know, when I left the family and I became a sex symbol. Mm. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, get on your paper. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we start every we start every show with a fast five. Okay. We ask you five quick questions and you give us five quick answers. Okay. Well, can you ahead. handle that? Well, I, well, I won't be so quick, but you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he said used to be a quick. No, go ahead. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? No, I, no, I just did it. Tongue, tongue, tongue in cheek, now hush. <laughs> get on your paper. Get on your paper. Fast five. Ready? Yes. Favorite singer? Oh, golly. I had one the other day. I think it was Ray, Ray Price. Ray Price. That's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Favorite vegetable? I think it would be, I like potatoes, and I you know, of course, I like veggies. Yeah, I love potatoes, especially yeah. French fried ones. Oh, honey, I make them old fashioned friend, just regular fried taters. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get some of them when we when we take you back. I, there. I'm going to fix y'all some dinner someday. It'll blow your hat in the creek. Jim, you well, ready for that? I know, and I found my way to your house now. Yep. Yeah, I want you to come and I mean stay some time, and I'll show you the cylinder player. You know the old Edison cylinders. Have you ever seen one? Of those? I have. We're going to get into that in a minute, though, because I, mean, I can't wait to talk about that. Okay. An instrument you wish you could play? A fiddle. Fiddle. They don't weigh anything. Well, now they even have the ones that are even less poundage and weightage and because you, they don't I, even, they make them ones that's just really just wires now. I don't. Almost, yeah. Yeah, but a, I'm, I'm talking about the real thing. You know, I'm not talking about. A bunch we're talking of about a Stradivarius here. No, I'm just a good old <laughs> fiddle. With, with yeah. My grandpa played the fiddle up in the mountains of Virginia, and then Scott, my brother, played the fiddle, and after him, nobody wanted to play much on the fiddle. <laughs> Scott was the king. But if a rattlesnake rattles in the fiddle. I want one but old fiddle with the rattlesnake rattles inside because there is a history there. Do you want to hear it? 
We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Just a minute. Let's go through the fast five first. Okay. We on three. You ready for four? Well, I reckon. Okay. <laughs> Who'd play you in a movie about you? Uh, I'm trying to find somebody ugly enough to do that. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm serious. It's a heart attack. I they, really am. You, you talk down about yourself too much now. No, I, ain't tell, I never talk down. I just tell you pretty. Truth. You're a pretty lady. Well, I can be. Well, you know. So let's think of a pretty girl that would play you. No, but you mean as a child too? As a child, child and a pretty girl. Well, mainly just as an adult. So we'll say what? What about Cameron Diaz? You know who that is? No. I uh, will say Audrey Hepburn. Well, I love, I love her. I always did, but you know she's not around anymore. But anyway. Well, they could be dead or alive. I'm trying to think of somebody who would play me in the movie. Or anything, uh, you'd have to be squirrely, flaky, or whatever. <laughs> well, well, they can handle that. That's why they're actors. What's your favorite vacation spot? Even if you hadn't been there, I love the ocean. I love to go down and just sit at the ocean because you feel so close to God. You know, because when you see that, it's unreal. It brings, sing, makes your soul sing. Being around the water, the mountains. I've seen enough of it. They're pretty, but I've seen all that in my life. Get get as close to that microphone okay, as you I'll, can. Yeah, because you my you my audio is really okay, low. Okay, I understand. Yes, there we go. I do. Yeah. There we go. Well, I like the ocean. The ocean is wonderful, and to sit with the beach and just sit there and dream and write and think of things, it's a thing. It's a mind thinker. That's what it is. So there's a bunch of oceans though. Which ocean do you like going to for vacationing? Well, the prettiest. I think it that there's Clearwater Beach that I like very much in Florida. And then there's um, Fort Myers Beach is off okay. pretty. Yeah. All right. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty place. Been well, there. Nice. That that was the fast five. You did it. You did it quick. You well, did a good job. You. I didn't do it quick enough. No, uh, honey. Yeah, you I did. I didn't do no such a thing. You did it quick. Well, it was very quick. For me, I reckon Pleasurable, but quick. <laughs> Jim? <laughs> well, well, that's what I told you. Well, I shut up. Back on your paper. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. Right. Well, it's not paper anymore. It's uh, it's iPad. But I'm back oh, on it. I know. It. So the first question is: What was it like growing up in the legendary Stoneman family, with the first man to ever make a career out of recording country music as your daddy, Ernest Pop Stoneman? The well, first man to ever. That's crazy to think about no, that, ain't the it? First, I, I got the cylinder. Well, I should have brought it over. Cylinder player playing that that sinking of the Titanic, which he wrote. Yeah. Nine, he wrote that in 19, nine, I think he wrote it in 1912, um, and that, uh, and he wrote it at the 1912, right after it happened. I know that song. It was sad when that great ship went down. It was it's sad when that great. You probably knew it the college way because you looked no, like he, you got I, just enough education to be dangerous. No, I heard the way he did it. It was, but it was like it was sad when that great, great ship, ship went, went down. down. It was sad when that great ship went down. It was sad when that great ship went down. Husbands and wives, little children lost their lives. It was sad when I agreed. He wrote it in 1914. That's when he wrote it, because a Titanic sung in 1912. Mm-hmm. Daddy wrote it in 1914 and recorded it for Thomas Edison in Camden, New Jersey, at his studio there. He had a little, you know, and you had to sing in a horn. Yeah, that was crazy. He was, the, he was one of the first artists on Edison Records. He was the first one to ever record a million seller. 
Yeah, that song that was a million seller. Yes, it was. And I've got, you know, we were, you asked me a question two in one. You asked me about being a member, how it felt being a member of everybody picking and singing. That, that was in this first question you yeah, just asked. Yeah, yeah. Well, we never thought about it because there was music always. There was never a time in my life that I didn't hear music. We lived in a one-room house after the Depression years. Before, before the Depression and the 20s, Mommy and Daddy made a lot of money, uh, you know, um, recording. He was on seven different labels, six or seven. He was on Jarrett Jeanette Records, and he was on a Bluebird. He was on, you know, you know Victor. When did you when did you start playing the banjo? Daddy made my first one when I was about eight and a half years old. And it was a short neck banjo, you know, just a little old banjo, mandolin-like, you know. And he'd make our instruments because we didn't have any money. You know, we never thought Daddy would make them and tune them up and told, put them on a bed and said, now, leave that alone. I ain't finished with it yet. Now, when I come back from work, I want to see that still in tune. Well, we all, as soon as he left the yard, we'd all run in the bed and grab it. Yeah. And, and we never, uh, God, you know, it just seemed like it was always there because Grandpa, Mommy's Daddy, in the mountains of Virginia and down in the Blue Ridge, he played the fiddle. And I'd stay with him. But now Grandpa Elijah on Daddy's side, he was a preacher and he didn't believe in any frolicking. So Daddy would go court my mother. He met her when she was, he married her when she was 19. He didn't believe in dancing and frolic and everybody making a lot of noise. He didn't believe yeah. in... Yeah, having fun. Yeah, that was not of the par. But that's my older siblings, as you said. I had a bunch of them. But my older ones... You're said, the youngest of all of them. I'm next to the youngest living, yes. Mm, okay. There was 15 of us living at one time. It got older. But the rest, Mommy had five sets of twins. 13 made it into adulthood, right? Well, I was 15. 15? Yeah, 15, yeah. My sister... I had a sister, two sisters that died. One was Jimmy's twin, my brother. But I always had music in the house. It was a one-room house after Daddy lost everything because he had signed a lot of banknotes for some friends of his down in Galax. They he would they would see Mommy and Daddy coming home from New York, and you know a brand new car, a touring car, and. You'd see him come down over the hill, so they'd all prounce on Daddy, you know, his friends around that he was raised with. He was a, an old mountain boy that was raised by a, a Pentecost, you know, I'd say really hellfire brimstone preacher. That That's was, how I grew up. That's how I really still am today, Pentecostal. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah that, to me, that's really, that, if you get a really good Pentecostal a meeting of churches, and Mom always said, now, if you need prayer, those are the ones to go to. That's all right. That's what Mama always said. You know, yep. she, she would pray all night with my brothers. They all played music, and we lived near Washington. After the Depression, Daddy found some land over. He got a job. Finally, you know, it was hard times for Mom and Dad. People say, I grew up poor, but they don't know what it did to the parents. But we weren't poor. We didn't have anything. I slept on a straw tick mattress over in the corner, and there was sometimes we'd have to sleep five and six of us youngins in the bed. And Mama had a hickory stick. You know, Ma, his, he touched me with his foot. 
she'd say, I'm going to settle y'all and I'm going to make y'all, you know, straighten out. And she'd get a hickory stick and we'd dance for 30 minutes. That's where I learned to clock. What's a hickory stick? That's what you get a whooping with. Get on with. your paper. You know what a hickory stick I really don't didn't well, know what a hickory stick well, was. My, my grandma used switches. Well, that's it. It's good that's hickory. It. Yeah, if you, if you get a bad one, it wasn't a hickory, and then it break, and then, then you get it worse. <laughs> <laughs> go get another one. Yeah, just say, now, doggone it, you just go on and get that. You done this. But I got enough whippings, and, of course, you know, because what else was there? Music and that. That's all we had. We lived in a one-room house with a tent for a roof for four years. And I remember it well. And Daddy made paddles. So when the snow came, it was in Maryland, that the boys would push the tent up, the tarpaulin, Daddy called it. Mm-hmm. And he'd push it up, and the snow would slough off. They didn't want the snow falling on us. And when Mama prayed. And Mama prayed. And every time we had trees all around us, and Mama would pray in the corner, a certain corner, and she'd get all these kids around. We'd pray and pray and for the trees. And they, I'd seen them, honest to goodness, the storms that would come. In Maryland now, you know, it gets pretty chilly up there, and they have pretty bad storms. But this old house sat in one room in a little basement, a half-dugout basement. That's where Daddy slept down there. And the boys would be playing music. All They'd come in at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. But during the storms, it would, the trees would just bend like this. And the tree never came on our house. It never broke. And Mama would pray as hard to keep the tree. She was scared of storms. Mm. But I remember so much of her prayers. and She knew the peacemaker. <laughs> well, that reminds me of, were you a part of uh, the Dixie Mountaineers? Um, no, honey, that was Daddy in the 20s, Mommy and Daddy. And I know that was your dad. I didn't know how, what year that was. That was in the 20s, and that was that was Mommy and Daddy and Uncle Bolden. That was Dad, Mama's brother, and he played the banjo. And then there was, um, there was Uncle Ed Dumford. I've got the records at the house. I'll have to bring them sometime. But it was Uncle Ed Dunford, and he talked like this, and but I never met him, I don't think. I, I don't think I did. I'm 81 years old right now. Congratulations. That's okay. I, I, I'll get there to 90. <laughs> you, still, I, you seem like you will. You're yeah, in good shape. I, I'm pretty good. God is good. You know. <laughs> I've had seven children, and I've seen a lot of movies, and I didn't collect on the reruns. But it was a tough I get married every now and then, but that ain't my fault. <laughs> that is not my fault. I every now and then it. you just decide to get married. Well, I was married when I was 16, and uh, I went to Mama. Now, I've seen, you know, I lived in a neighborhood where everybody got drunk. And Daddy didn't drink. Mommy didn't drink. But I had brothers who made up for lost time for anything. <laughs> They were bad boys, you know, naughty. Were they? Yeah, they were naughty boys. They'd drink, you know, and fight each other, and especially when they had one in the Marine Corps, one in the Navy, and one in the Air Force, and it was just, they'd come home, and they'd fight, and Mama had to throw hot water on them to stop. Hot water? Yeah, just like that song in the old days, feuding, the fussing, and the fighting. Remember? Sometimes it gets to be exciting. Don't like them ornery neighbors down by the creek. We'll be plumb out of neighbors next week. Remember that song? <laughs> remember? Grandma, poor old grandma. Why'd you have to shoot poor old grandma? 
She lies beneath the clover. Someone caught her bending <laughs> over, picking up a daisy, feuding, fussing, and a fighting. Yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I remember. That's great. That's great. You're you're just a natural born entertainer, aren't you? How did yes. you know? I mean, just when you grew up, you just uh, was automatically an entertainer. When did your parents, your dad, yeah. start making money? Because he, he, you weren't always poor. Right. Well, no, I I came in thirty eight. No, nineteen thirty. Yeah, I was born in thirty eight. When did your Jimmy dad was born in thirty seven? When did your dad two. sign with Edison? Well, I I got all this. I should have brought all this stuff. I got all this information. But anyway, in those days, you could go to different recording and have different, uh, you know, different recording labels. Mm-hmm. Daddy went to everyone trying to give him a better deal. You know, and he right. recorded for Edison first because he went. I got the letter from Edison Company of Daddy of coming. I, I I got that from my sister Patsy. She collected all that stuff, and I'm saying, well, you know, it depresses me. I sit around. I see, you know, um, the CMA awards, the Grammy awards, on that stuff, and I'm saying, here we are, you know. You can be as talented or do as much as you want to, but if you don't take care of business first, you're gonna lose. Amen. What is it? What do you mean by that? I don't. I don't know what you mean by that. Well, Daddy, you know he was he was a very smart man. He once he got sixty five thousand dollars answering geography questions on a television show called The Big Surprise. That was in New York, and that was in the fifties. And he went up there and. And he got sixty-five grand. Got, he went up that far. He was a very smart man, and he was a very much of an inventor. He, would in, he invented a loading mechanism, as what he said. They said a loading mechanism that saved thousands and thousands of do- dollars for the Navy at Patuxent, Air, Patuxent River, you know, base. They built that during the war, and Daddy helped build that. He was a carpenter. But that came after. That's when he finally got his job. Now, did there's a lot of stories in between that, Plunkett. Did uh, did he? Now, Thomas Edison was dead at the time when your dad was with Edison Records, no, right? No, 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 no. Did he meet Thomas Edison? Yes, he did. Shook, he said, "I shook hands with him, talked to him." Really? But Thomas Edison was deaf. He was stone, couldn't hear, and he would put his teeth down on any playing. But he was tone, tone deaf. Mm. He lost his hearing when he was a young boy, and he was on a train inventing things. You know, they let him ride a train because he would sell the newspapers up or give the newspapers to the passengers. But he was invented something, and it kind of blew up a little bit. And a man slapped him in the ear, and the blood came out of his ear. But anyway, he, he really did. He was deaf, and he, he would try to invent things to hear. I don't know exactly. He had a girl girlfriend he was smart, you know, uh, sweetened to, and he went over to her house, and she had a brother or a sister that was hard couldn't hear. And he started trying to invent something that would so they could hear. He was great. And Daddy was like an inventor. He would do it. He would invent a lot of stuff. But he didn't have, he had to work with all the kids. He worked three jobs. He wasn't a lazy around. Or my brothers, they just lazy and played banjos and guitars and mandolins and fiddles. And they would all play. And we'd have different 
mama would say, Lord, have mercy. Please get out of the house. I can't stand that racket anymore. They would be in different corners of the house because we didn't have any rooms, you know, no mm -hmm. bedrooms and stuff. And they would get over there. And when when we got an instrument that laid on the bed, daddy tell us, leave alone. And if you laid a banjo, like an old banjo that I had, and I t started telling you a while ago, there was um, a little short neck banjo they made. And I, my brother said, now, Ronnie, what you got to do is keep them fingers rolling and don't make a gallop. You got to keep it smooth and keep the banjo ringing. And he said, that's what you got to do. And don't play like a girl. He said, you don't play like a girl now. And you got to play it and make it sound clear. Oh, he was. How do girl? How, how did girls play different than well, boys? There was no girl five string, three finger style playing at the time. It was all men, and I came along, and they. I tried to find a girl who played scrub style. Everywhere we went, we'd play those festivals. Daddy would take us, and we'd all get in the contest. You know, as brother. the Stoneman family, just back the then. Stonemans or Stoneman family. Yeah. Scott would play in a contest and Jimmy would Jimmy my brother was you know he was a genius but he was an epileptic and he played so good though I mean he you could hit a piece of wood and get a tone and if he, he could tell you what tone it was most of the kids were like that in that one room house it was crazy in our house with music what year was it that uh what what was the year that your dad actually recorded was he the one of the first people to ever record on the phonograph well I tell you this Everybody thought the Carter family did, but no, Daddy, that's another thing. There was a guy named uh, Peer, Ralph Peer, and he was with Victor Records, and Daddy told, he had been, Daddy had been recording for Victor for quite a while, I guess it was about five years, and then he, Mr. Victor, or Mr. Peer was going to go look for talent down in Atlanta, Georgia, but Daddy said, come, come in this direction, come to Bristol, he said, come, he said, there's abundance, that's what Daddy's told him, because Daddy tell me there's abundance of music in these mountains he said that's where you ought to come here so mr peer came down and he said first he told daddy he said well how are you going to get them there Ernest, to bristol first mr peer said bring them up here and we'll record them and daddy said look these are mountain people you don't understand they don't leave their home like that they just don't and he said well Ernest, what do you he said you come on down here and he said, well, how are you going to get them into Bristol? Daddy said, leave that to me. So Daddy went down to the, uh, to the newspaper, and uh, he told them how much and showed them his checks, his, you know, council checks uh, from, Mr., from, you know, Edison and also mm -hmm. Pierre. And he said, this is how much money I'm, made, I'm making. And so he enticed them with money. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. you know, how much money Daddy made. So he brought him into Bristol. Daddy went to Bristol. He was from Galax, around Iron Ridge. Daddy was originally from Iron Ridge, and that's just right over the mountain. But he 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 brought him in, but he built the stage on State Street, right there on the back, uh, uh, on the wall of one of the furniture companies, right there in Bristol on State Street. If you ever get a chance, go up there. The museum is absolutely marvelous. But anyway, Mr. Peer came down, and Daddy introduced the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers, the Jimmy Rogers, the brakeman, and uh, a, a few of his friends that Daddy introduced to Mr. Peer. 
and Mr. Pierce signed the Carter family. Daddy did, I think, 26 numbers, him and Mommy, Uncle Bolin, I think the uh, is the the Blue Ridge Corn Chuckers, and then the other, the, the name you said a while ago. Was that before 1910? No, that was in the 20s, honey. Okay. That was early 20s. Well, the, you know, it wasn't until, Jim, this is pretty peculiar to me, it wasn't until 1910 that they actually put the artist's name on the records. They did Isn't that, that a heck of a note? Boy, it is. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it wasn't until 1910. That they would do that, and Edison actually the very first recording of with the phonograph he recorded on a tinfoil. Yeah, Daddy had one. He did read that too in a wire. That was a wire thing. Did he? Your yeah, dad had he, one. He, but Daddy didn't have one. But they he recorded on. Say he recorded on some tinfoil. Yes. Isn't that yeah. something? Mm-hmm. You, you don't have that today. No, I don't. I have yeah. the Edison cylinders. I've got about ten or twelve of them. I, I remember recording. No, I didn't do it, but I remember. Being able to record on a wire. Yeah. On a wire. That was, I think, one of the first, you That's know. That's crazy. But it didn't have the, the tone that he that Mr. Uh, Mr. Edison liked. He liked this. Somehow. Well, he couldn't I even know. hear, so how did he I know what tone he but, wanted? But it, he, I told you he did it with his teeth. He could tell. that He had one ear that was really gone, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he was... He was very, uh, he was always my hero. All right, we always. Edison was your hero. Always. I, I, I love history. I you, love history of the, of the people, of the inventors. Now, I tell you, I only went to the seventh grade, but I would have, they would have passed me to the fifth. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I wasn't too swift, but they, I would have passed to the fifth, but I married the principal instead. <laughs> I was so old. Is that true? <laughs> Close Encounters was the third grade. Is no, wait a minute. I did marry a school principal. I paid him back, buddy. No, wait a Is that true? You married a principal? I married a principal, yeah. Not the, the principal. No, not the principal. Not your principal when you were in the no, third grade. No, no. I said that. <laughs> you know, talking about recording like that with Edison, that's, that is so neat. And uh, my family, you know, we... Yeah. I had a younger brother, and my dad played, and and uh, yeah, you just take it for granted. So he'd done a lot of work, electronic work, and he built the first recorder that my that myself and, and my brother recorded our first record right onto the disc. It wasn't no tape or nothing. It was like yeah. right to the disc. Right. Yeah, that's right. And then would kind of that little fuzz or the little electric. Well, the, the wax would kind of curl yeah, up. Yeah, you'd have to sort of keep that brushed off. Yeah, that's right. That's a go. Yeah, that was cute. Why you couldn't. It took, and, and there was no way of controlling what you did. Yeah. You just sang it and played it, and, and that was that. Yeah, and that, and you take it so much for granted when you're raised in it because I don't remember, I swear to you, I don't remember a time in my life that there was not any music. My mother played the old-fashioned drop-thumb banjo, the claw hammer. They, Grandpa, Grandpa Jones played the frailing. He said, I wish I could play like your mother. My mother learned from her father, my grandfather Bill Frost, up in the mountains of Virginia, and he played the old-time fiddle as well. And they'd go to each other's cabin, you know, in the old days, in the mountains, and they would roll back the rug, and they would dance. I had a great-great-grandfather that played the fiddle up there in those hills, and he he partaked of the spirits, but they would always keep their spirits in the spring house. 
mm-hmm. know, yeah. because they didn't want the ladies to see them drink as if the ladies didn't know it, you know. Probably moonshine back then. Of course, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, they made their own, you know, their own uh, part, uh, you know, spirit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Being nice. <laughs> they made their own, and then they charred it good. If it's charred good, then you, you need you know, it's safe and all that. Really I know good. nothing about that, but you sound like you, you had a hand in it. No, I didn't. I don't partake. I was born this way, honey. Right. I'm saying, but did you ever have to make it? <laughs> no. I, no, I, I, I never did have to make it, but I've seen it made. Well, let's talk about you and the banjo. And uh, we've talked enough about your daddy and your family. Yeah, let's talk about you and what, how did you get involved with Hee Haw? Yes. Oh, honey, praise the Lord. You're glad to talk about yourself finally, ain't you? No, I don't mind talking about myself because I've heard it every kind of way it can be said. But Well, now I, we're going to hear it from the horse's mouth. So how, well, well, yeah. how did you get involved with Hee Haw? No, I was working with the Stonemans called, and we had a television show for four years, and we went to L.A. We played, we played um, uh, the Fillmore West you know, that was in San Francisco, and we was the only country group that was ever invited to play there. It was Joe Cocker and his bunch there and the bunch of squirrel, loud music, and, and the hippies. They were the 24-hour hippies. They weren't just weekenders. <laughs> they, they were the real thing. And they had Fillmore seating, and this they had a T-shirt with, with a, a social finger painted on it. A social finger. You know, that kind of... You mean the middle finger? <laughs> that was the you ain't got. You don't have to be so... Uh, no, that PG. was what I knew. That's I what you it, called it? I called it the social finger. I said, Daddy, <laughs> have you seen them social fingers? This is the strangest thing. Social finger. I never heard that. Well, yeah, it's the middle finger, you know, <laughs> yeah, I the know, birdie. But, I, <laughs> but now I always call it the social finger. Why? Because I guess it goes to somebody being social with it. You're, you remind me, you, have y'all seen the movie, The Beverly Hillbillies? Come and listen oh, to yeah, the story many times. The new one. I could have put that, that part good, I guess. So, so when they first get to Beverly Hills in mm-hmm. the movie, the, somebody, I, somebody flips them off. And so they think, they say, what is going on there? And he goes, that's just the way they say hello here in Beverly Hills. So yeah. then they start flipping everybody off the rest of the. Well, While they're there, is, everybody they say hello to. They it say. didn't used to be that way, though. Back in, we were there in the 60s, and there, all the kids at the universities, Daddy always said they ought to get a the trade school and learn. Because when you get out of college, you're over, you're over, uh, overqualified for some jobs. And that's true. Right. I had I was married to a school principal. I told you. You that. told me you married your school principal in the third grade. Oh um, no, so you, no, no, no! That's what you said. Now no, it's on the record, was, honey. It's that was Jim Vess that said that. <laughs> and the reason he got that, I came down. I had a. He was a, a drunk. He got to be a very bad drunk. Jim Vess was a very bad drunk. Not Jim Vess. No. Well, he <laughs> listen. He did his share, but in those days. But look at him now. He. And Sexy it, as ever, ain't he? No, he's paying for it. <laughs> oh, wow. She went the other way. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim. I love you to death like a brother. You still and haven't I, told me about Hee Haw. How did you get... I'm going to tell you. First, I'm going to tell you. I, We're going the long road. Yeah. We're going the long way around, though. Well, d- well you want me to shut, cut, shortcut everything? You can cut this in two and make three or four <laughs> talk shows. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be able to make about, yeah. about nine episodes. Well, I won't talk then. No, we want you to talk. I want to tell you about my grandpa's fiddle with, with this rattlesnake rattles in it. We listen. Okay. 
I was up in visiting Grandpa, and I was about 14, 13, 14 years old, and I'd stay up there every summer with Grandpa in the mountains of Virginia, down in the Blue Ridge, and it was awful pretty, and it was, I could run barefooted through the fields. Uh, you know, there was a field, oh, God, it, memories. I wrote a song about that. I'm missing old Virginia, standing here in Memphis, Tennessee. In dreams I see the home place where mom and dad used to be. You know, I wrote that. But anyway. I'm from Memphis. Oh, pray, you need prayer. He'll come out. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the United States. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do need prayer. So yeah, every time you pray, pray for me, please. I will, I'm sure. And yeah, I like that. But anyway, I sitting on an old back porch with Grandpa and him whittling. It was his after breakfast. And there was an old feller coming down over the Granny Hill. We call it Granny Hill. And it was a big old rock up there. We all go up there and sing and play on that old rock. Anyway, this old man come down over the hill. And Grandpa had eyesight that wouldn't quit. And he said, hey, stranger. That's how he said it. Come on over. And I see you got your fiddle. He said, come on over, an old feller. And he was waving for him to come over. And he came over. And Grandpa said, well, fix you some vittles. But he said, I see you got your fiddle. He said, yeah. And Grandpa always would, you know, like most musicians even today, will check the other's instruments. And Grandpa, he said, the old man, I'm sitting there listening to everything, and he said, how many rattlesnake rattles you got in that there fiddle? And he said, I got eight of them. That was a proud thing to the mountain people. It really was. What were the rattlesnake rattles for? Well, I'll tell you. I'm getting there. Okay. I'll shut up. Yeah, please do. <laughs> please do. <laughs> I'm getting the story going good, and then you screw it up. But anyway. I'm so sorry. No, I, that's all right. Let me. I'll just let you hear. I'll let you no, take a joke. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. I'm joking. I'm, only, I'm joking to you. I believe it. You're an entertainer, so. Well, no, I don't intend to try to be. It just comes out. Because I, it's natural. I don't have the arthritis, you know, the chest of other girls. <laughs> what is, well, why is that called arthritis? Well, you know, you put your hands up to your chest, and it looks like, you know, I, I call it the arthritis. The girls. Yeah, the girls. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't have those because I wore my bra backwards, but I was fun to dance with. But that is another thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me, I dance good. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> And I can waltz across Texas, just grab a hope and I'd go. No, anyway, back to the mutiny. So I was sitting there as a little girl, and I was being quiet, really. And uh, But anyway, he said, I see you got some rattles. Yeah, I got eight of them in that fiddle. So he, Grandpa said, well, let, me hear you, let me hear you play a tune or two. And he played it. It was a oh, swanee to goodness. It was a squawkingest fiddle I ever heard. That, he played awful. And Grandpa said, Grandpa was like put he was like Jim Vess putting you putting on, you know, he'd say, That's the best cotton pick and fiddling I ever heard in my life. And grandma gritted her teeth to come out of the screen door and she grit her teeth because the guy was awful. The old man was awful. And he was the same age as grandpa, but he seemed older to me. And so grandpa he said, Here, play one, Bill. And he said, No, nah. I said, It's your fiddle, you go ahead and play it. I like to hear you play. And it was the worst fiddling and the worst sound it was really awful and so we went into <laughs> we finally finished and he went into the house we had some vittles 
My grandma fixed it up on the table there, and he sat there and ate good. Then he left, and, and Grandpa went back to whittling, kind of smiling to himself. And I said, Grandpa, he didn't sound too good. And Grandpa laughed, and he was a knee slapper lapper, you know. Ha, ha, and he just, just roared, reared back and roared and laughed so good. And he said, I said, well, what about the rattlesnakes rattles? Grandpa, does that make it do any better? I said, it's supposed to make it sound good, did you said. He said, no, nah, child. He said, in, in the days, the old days, we didn't have cases for our fiddles, and we had to hang them on the wall. And he said it would keep the mud daubers from making a nest in the fiddle. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Did not know that. No, that's... No, I didn't either. Well, see, if you put it in there, and and if the mud daubers would come around, they could smell. Somehow they'd smell, and they would know not to go in there. And if mud dauber makes a nest, you know how hard it is to get it off a piece of wood. Yeah. Especially inside of a fiddle. You're talking about a dirt dauber wasp. A dirt right? dauber wasp, okay. yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, and they and it would keep them away from the fiddle. Mm. And they didn't have fiddle cases, so they just hung them on the wall in the cabin. He said. Okay. And that, I thought that was good, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. And you could get the old, you kill rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes are pretty good up in the mountains. Yeah. Good eating too. Well, I don't know about the eating part. Oh, I do. I don't know if Grandpa did, but I guess if you get hungry enough, you... No, you don't have to be hungry. It's beautiful white meat. Oh, well. Jim's I... eating every kind of meat you could possibly think of. Well, it shows. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. So hee-haw. St we're still waiting right. on hee-haw. Now, y'all want to know about hee-haw, but I yeah. want you to know I picked before hee-haw. And I did well, play with the family. We won the vocal group of the year at CMA and all that kind of... Mickey Mouse. Crap. We know that you Just, played before then. Yeah, before that. And then all right, I left, I had a chance to do some reading and I didn't know what the reading meant. I didn't know, you know, I've been on stage since I was four and a half years old. That's how we got the roof on the house. We won the contest at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. because daddy came in and said, Hattie, now, that my older brothers, you know, but he came in and said, Hattie, he was a carpenter and he said, a man had a Radio at the job today, and I heard that man by the name of Connie B. Gay is going to go. He's build. He's having a show at Constitution Hall and a contest. And he said, in the winter gets, I think it was sixty-two weeks on television. And Mama said, Well, Ernest, if you think you know, just go on over there and cross the creek and get the boys to go with you. And he said, Well, I'll, I'll do that. So Mama was always. Uh, you know, prompting Daddy to do the things that he dreamed of because she said a man without a dream was not a real man. That's what she told all of us. All I like that. And she said, you have to have a dream. you got to go for it. So she'd say, that's how come Daddy went to New York in the first place. She had 10 children during the time. She said, well, go on, Ernest. You think you can do it? Go on. Go do it. That's what she would say. And, and so anyway, he went across the creek, and my older brothers, my older siblings remember we were an old family but my older brothers they said no pop we can't go with you because your music your music is the cat the dog is snoring yeah he's 
He's he, really He really get, loves my it. stories, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he's you, mommy uh, a curly chalker. He's fell over right behind you. I know, ain't he sweet? Bless his yeah, little heart. Is. But anyway, back to the mutiny. We um he came back and he sat down at the end of the table and he's and he looked real sad. Mama said, What's the matter, Ernest? He said, Hattie, and she was popping green beans, you know, and straining them. And he said, the boys won't go with me, Hattie. And she says, and why not? And she's, he said, because they, they got electric instruments. And they said, my music is outdated. This is 1942, 43, mm. in those years. And she said, well, how long do you have before the contest? He said, we got three months before they're going to have it. And Mama said, well, just get, get my fiddle in tune. We'll go show them a thing or two, get my fiddle in tune and the little ones and start making the instruments for the little ones. The little, you know, my other brother, Scotty was one, and Jimmy and Donna and Billy, all of them. So anyway, so we practice on the porch all the time. And people come in from Washington, D.C. with their fancy cars and park in front of the old road there. It was a dirt road. And they had listened to us pick and sing. And so we'd had a song. Daddy said, this is the song we're going to do now for the contest. I want each and every one of you youngins to open your mouth and sing loud because we'll probably only have one microphone. So get up on that stage and sing. So we all practice every night. And I remember, somebody's waiting for me. That's what, Someone who loves me, I know. The light is shining bright in the window. Tonight, you know, I know you're shaking your head. Hurry up and get this story over with. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just listening. No, I'm no, you're not. I'm you're just going, listening. Oh, and you're going like that, you know. I didn't do that. No, at all. but you're thinking. Now you're putting gestures on my hands. Well, anyway, you know, like twirling hurt and get it over with. You know what <laughs> no. it means, gang. No, nope. I, I'm. I ain't got nothing left to twirl. <laughs> no, well, I didn't mean he's got beard and that's good twirl. Yeah. But anyway, back, I am a, yeah, you oh okay, you mind me of my uh-oh. one of my husbands I had. But that's pretty, You had so many. I I went through them like a ghost absent salt. Thirteen or fourteen, <laughs> how many was no, it? No, I didn't have fourteen. Get on your paper forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> forever. Forever stay there. But anyway, so we got there and I remember running because my brother was in the Navy and he sent mommy some money home to buy me and Donna a pair of little patent leather slippers. Never had something pretty like that. And she made her feet sack dresses, and Donna's bow is in the back of her hair. And she was so pretty. Of course, I wasn't the pretty one. I had a crooked eye. My eye, this eye went to toward the wall, and I had a space in my teeth, and I, I really looked the part of hot dang, you know. <laughs> that's how I got hee haw. I wasn't pretty. I didn't have the Oh, that's what we was going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we were talking about hee haw. I said, that's one I of forgot. the reasons why I hold So we made it. We made it to hee haw now. Yeah, yeah, well, we won the contest over my brothers, and that's where I first met Grandpa Jones. He was gluing his eyebrows on and his mustache right. in the dressing room. I went up there and looked at it and watched him. He bought my first Coke. He bought my first hamburger. I remember I never a hot dog, I mean. Never had hot dogs, had beans and taters. But anyway, we were playing, and we won the contest over 150 different artists. We did. We That's won. really impressive. Yeah, we won. And we got Daddy build a roof, get the lumber for the roof. It was $65 for the Saturday night. Mm. And that was how we did it. And that's how you, then Grandpa Jones. Oh, I was well, getting to that and tell you, told me to you. hurry up. Grandpa Jones, 
he was a young man then. But see, I didn't know it was Grandpa Jones. I, I, you know, when I saw him, I learned his eyebrows on, and he was taking this Maybelline thing with the white in it. And, he, you know, it used to be, it was white, too. They could make them white instead of black when the ladies used to put it on their eyelashes. Yeah. Maybelline, it slid out. And he did it and was doing that. And I, I went down to the end. I went running and I slid sideways because it would really slide good on them new shoes. You know? And I ran down and I looked and I saw that old man doing that. And I said, I wonder what he's doing. And I pushed a chair over and climbed up on this, the table. I mean, the 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 cab the place where he had it there was uh, round bulbs all around it you know for the dressing table yeah. you know putting makeup and stuff on and I climbed up on there and I kept staring I got right down and I stared at his eyebrows and stared he never said a word and Mama came looking for me and she said Lord have mercy get out of that room and quit bothering that old man and Grandpa Jones said that's all right Miss Stoneman I'll take care of her you just Get your fiddle in tune. That was Grandpa Jones. And he took me to get me a Coke and hot dogs. And he said, you're spilling the Coke on your shoes. And you were how old at this point? About five. Oh. Five years old. That wasn't when you got on Hee Haw then. So no. we're a long way from Hee Haw. Oh, I'm getting back to the Hee Haw. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a good story. No, they're great you're stories. A listener, your listeners will like that. They like the real stuff. I yeah. don't think they want, well, I did this, and I did that. No, just tell it like it is. <laughs> you sounded really pretty when you was doing that just now. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I got an obscene phone call one time and taped it. And I played it. I played it over and over and over. I played it. You enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I taped it. She enjo- it was a Jim that called you? <laughs> no, Jim. <laughs> no, no. I, I did one time. I said, what are you wearing? And he said, well, I'm out here in the garden with my brogans on. <laughs> with, your, with his what? No, brogan shoes. You know what brogan shoes no, are. No, I have no clue what that is. It's just a boot. It's like it's a lace-up shoe that the old boys used to wear in the hard times because they last if you were lucky. Okay. Almost like a combat boot, but just a little shorter. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I'm learning a lot today, a whole lot. Well, honey. I'm I learning could, a lot. Well. It was the cheapest shoe that just about that you could get. But you could, if brogans were, and I had to wear them, take on, you know. But they lasted. I know. That's why I wore them. I tore them up one time. I said, I don't want to wear this. The so, old cloppers. So but, how old were you when you got on Hee Haw? I don't know. But I had my youngins, and I had been mar- I was married to the school principal. Oh, dear. All right. How I got it. <laughs> I quit the family. I was two years without work. Right. And I was the only sole sub- provider for the family because my husband, who was an educated squirrel, he belonged <laughs> to Menza. You ever heard of Menza? The men's is a meeting of the minds for the people who have the severely high IQ. Huh. And here he is laying drunk, doing nothing in the room. And I was supporting the whole family with, when I was with the Stonemans. That was another story. But anyway, after all, I'm 81 years old. And you come in here wanting me to talk about my life some and about hee-haw, and there's so many stories in my life because I'm much older than you. You look almost as old as I am. No, you deserve that. Hey, you ain't getting no argument here. 
thought, yeah. honey, I'm teasing you. I just thought that sounded, that <laughs> came out of my mind because I was thinking why I talked. Came out of your mind because you're hateful. That's why it came no, out of your mind. Honey, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm just I playing. Would never, I'm just playing. I would I'm never. Just yeah. no, you ain't going to hurt my feelings. No, I knew you was educated, and I knew I knew that you were not into the country music. I saw you because I've been on stage since I was four and a half you years You knew old. that I wasn't into country music? That you were into another kind of music. What do you, why do you think that? I saw it when I first got in the car. I looked at you. Your body language says it. Even though <laughs> what? It's true though. I promise. It's not true. You told me later, but I you, you're I do love country music. I said you love country music, but you you're a singer and I was also and I thought now when I first met you, I pulled up at the house, and I first met you, and you got out and got my banjo and put it in the back of the car. And you were scared I was going to touch your butt, and you started screaming No, at us. I did not. Get Didn't on. she, Jim? She was like, get away from me. You touched my butt. No, I, and I did was like, not. She, she kept looking around a whole lot. She I did. Couldn't I was like, man, I'm Hold a phone. Hold a phone. Hold a phone, y'all. I did not say no such a thing as that, y'all. Don't y'all out there on radio land believe that's such a thing. They know I don't lie. <laughs> no, I'm telling you the truth on this. I just, I saw you pick my banjo up. See, I've been on stage all my life, and all I ever did was watch the audience. I wasn't interested in what I was doing. And I learned that a long time ago. That was just something that was there, and I couldn't help it. But when I started working with Jim, but you wanted to know about Hee Haw, and you're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get it. All right. I had been, I left the family because Jack Clement, our manager at the time, they called him Cowboy. You probably heard of him. Crooked us with all the money. He would only give us $165 a, a week, no matter how much money we made on the road. For the whole family. No, he'd give each of us $65 a week. $165 is what we had to live on. Me, Jimmy, everybody got $165. First started off as $150, then it went to $165. And we remember, we had a television show for four years, and it was syndicated, and mm. we was always on the road. They would beat us to death on the road and then we would come in and work printer's alley for doing four shows a night after while we were resting and that's a job buddy y'all a heck of a job it was awful and then we only got anything because jack invested our money after we won the vocal group of the year for the cma we didn't have jack said we were just million dollar talent but we were just hillbillies and we never had any money and he was going to invest for us Jack is Jack cowboy. Clement, cowboy. Yeah, cowboy. Yeah, Jack yeah. Clement. Just clearing it up for the. He was our manager, and he was our he was our manager to take care. Of. He's and we met him in Washington D.C. He was he was stationed at, at uh, one of the uh, he was in the Marine Corps. Cowboy was. Mm -hmm. And then he came over to he got into a cab. And that's why he told me. Got in the cab, told the man to take me somewhere where there's music. And the man brought him out to Maryland to the Stoneman's house. And that hollow, it was a little road. We was right down the bottom. And he came over there and came in that one room house and walked around. He came in with Scott. And they, Who's Scott? My brother Scotty, the world's okay. worst, the world's best fiddle player in the world, even today, and he died in '72. And I'll show you a video after a while and show you that's true, wasn't he? I don't know if Jim. I think Jim went to sleep. Jim, get on. Oh, oh no, Jim, no, you no, wake? No, I'm, 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 I'm somebody out there listening. <laughs> yeah. All right. How you? What are you thinking? 
Uh, Y'all write in and tell them or do something. Tell them if you liked it or not. So I quit the Thomans and I had a chance for a reading. I didn't know the reading. I didn't know what it was. And then um, I, I told somebody I was at a party. I, I, I didn't have anything to wear but a pair of bibbed overhauls because I'd give everything to the children first. They came first. And I went to this place. It was a hotel downtown Nashville, and they were having a party there for the Hee Haw people. I walked in, and Tom T. Hall was setting a, was not setting, but he was there in this big room. And it was a, a sculpture, ice sculpture, and they had food all over this beautiful table setting. And I was hungry. I didn't eat anything. I only weighed 80 pounds at that time because I was doing without food. So I went in, I was staring at the table, and Tom looked up at me and he said, Ronnie, you're hungry, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, well, here, get you a plate and get you some of these sandwiches. They're a little, but a bunch of them. And I said, no, that ain't proper thing to do. You don't do that at a table like this. And he said, well, heck, I'll just get my... He said, I'll get my chair. And he pulled it up and sat down and said, get a chair and pull it up at the table like we're sitting at the dining room table. Yeah. And he ate and ate. And I, he said, here, and he piled my plate up with food. And I sat there and ate everything. And he got to watching me. And he said, Ronnie, you know, right in there is Sam Lavello, the producer of Hee Haw, and it's uh, John Pepiette and uh, John Amesworth. Frank Pepiette and John Amesworth is in that room. He said, why don't you go in there and talk to him? And I looked, and there was, I think, a Bill Davis in there, too. But I didn't. There was four men just sitting there talking like this, talking business. And I said, no, the men are talking business. I ought not to go in there and bother them. And he said, come on. And he grabbed me by the arm, and he drug me in the room, and he said, Sam. And Sam said, oh, hi, Tom. How are you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. But, Sam, this is hee-haw right here. He said, y'all should have her on hee-haw. She really is hee-haw, and you need her. And Sam said, we do, do we? And he said, yeah. And he said, smile, I'm Ronnie, and say hello. And I had that teeth in the front that was a space that was big enough to put a cigarette in if you smoked, you know. And I said, well, hi, how are you doing? And so two years, and he, nothing was said. And Tom took me back in the other room after they talked a wee bit. And I went back in there, got me some more food, and left. All right, two years later, I get a call. Sam Lavello. Two years. Two years passed. Son of a gun. You forgot all about it by then. No, I didn't, honey. I was hungry. You was waiting. I was waiting and praying that I'd get at the job. So I went down, and... Um, they told me to come down. I took my husband with me, this educator. Which one was it? This was the principal. Yes, the second principal? Yeah, so I was married to him 15 years. Okay. And so he was telling me, don't talk country. Don't do this and don't do that. And watch your grammar. He had a he was a Ph.D. in English and all that stuff. So I was scared to death when I went in. And I went into the office, Sam Lavello's office. And there was, you know, the other people there around and men, and he gave me some paper to read. And I said, uh, uh, you know, what do I do with this? You know, I don't know what to do. And it was, you know, the skit, of course, Idly and Laverne, but I didn't know. And I tried, and I looked at George, and I said, is that all right? As if he was the important one, which he was not. He wasn't had anything to do with You're talking about Idly Nagger? Yeah. And yeah. I'd say, Dad, burn it! You know, and all that kind of stuff, which is easy mm -hmm. because I learned. That's how you talked anyway. 
No, sir. I didn't talk that way normally, but I would. I heard it from an old lady from West Virginia. She had mm. seven sons, and she had dipped snuff, and she'd say, fight, to her sons, and the snuff would fly. And I used to go over to her house, and Mama used to whoop me for going over there. But anyway, at the end of the sidewalk, way down at the end, my girlfriend came up, and, she's, and it was a crummy old place I lived with the children. But the school next to it was really nice. And I went down there, and she said, Tam Lavello's on the phone. And I picked it up, and he said, can you come down here? And try again. He said, don't bring your husband. Because he knew. He was a businessman and he could see the control he had over me. And when you've got control over you, when any art you may have, it's going to be stifled. You can't perform well. Right. You can't. That's true. And he was yelling at me all the way down there. So he said, we'll pretend that we are going to, you know, talk to him about business. So I went up there and I, I looked at Gordy and I, at that little table and I said, well, what, what do you want? He said, what they want is a skinny mountain woman. And I said, well, I, I can do that. That's what they got. And, he, and I said, can I use that voice? And I went, dad, burn it. And he said, yes, that's what we want. He said, just read it and use that voice. And I did. Now, how were you? How long were you a cast member on Hee Haw? Twenty-four years. Twenty-four years. Yes, and I almost became a sex symbol. What, what do you mean? Why do you laugh? Is that true? No, honey. We had a part with do with this girl named uh, Diane Diane Goodman, and she was really fluffy in the front. Fluffy, <laughs> big fluffy. girl. They had fluffiness. She had a lot uh, of arthritis. Oh yeah, she was ate up with it, but the thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing is, boy. when when <laughs> Sam Lavello said, you and her are going to be the twins, identical twins. And I looked at her, and, and you know, I looked like the inside of an ice cream scoop. And she was, she was pretty big. And, and, I, and they had this dress, two dresses that looked alike. And it came down low and all this kind of stuff for her. And mine came down low, but there was nothing to be low about. And I'm just, you know, I, I, I said, okay. I was willing to do anything that was funny and, you know. And so, we're the Dixie twins, she'd say. We're the Dixie twins. We're identical twins. Well, the only thing different is she's got bigger feet. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. And, and, and I was supposed to. I had that dress, and I was flat, and I went to Sam. I said, do you want me to get bonded, bind, you know, put something around me to make me flatter? And he looked at me and said, wait a minute, let me see. And this is the producer. <laughs> this is where it gets funny. Okay. And he held me out, and he looked, and he said, no, you're all right, just like you are. You're flat enough. <laughs> <laughs> you're flat enough. <laughs> you're flat. And I went, but I didn't. I just didn't have anything. But anyway, I got that part too. Then I did the ironing board, and then I got the pick. I got the pick with. And that's what you love doing the most, right? Well, that's what I knew the most. Except I could do. do but all that what did you? Though. But what did you love the most, though? Did you like the pick and play and sing, or did you like acting? I like the comedy. I like the picking because it pleases the friends and neighbors. No matter how dead any any club can be or any place can be, whenever you hit the stage with a banjo and there's no other banjo players up there, and you're going to please that audience because you're there to please them. Daddy always said, don't play for yourself. Play for the audience. That's what you're there for. Mm. 
And when, you, when you're up on the stage, you watch them. And if they get to wiggling around, that means they're a little bored, so you better quit. Time to quit. Don't overdo your thing. That's what we were taught when we were children. Yeah. In London town where I was born, there was a fair maid dwelling. Sweet William on his deathbed laid for the love of Barbara Ellen. We used to sing Never it. heard that. That's pretty. Oh, yeah. That's he pretty. sent his servant into the town, the place where she was dwelling. Said, my master calls for you today, if your name be Barbara Ellen. We end every show with an unbelievable fact. What? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Now you're telling me to hurry up. You see, now, <laughs> now who's telling who to hurry well, up? Well, excuse you, me. Spit it out. So it, this, on this episode, I wanted to do some uh, hee-haw, unbelievable facts, and see if you had, if you know these or had ever heard these. The first unbelievable fact okay. is that hee-haw was actually created in Canada. Did you know that? No, I, no, it was created from what I was told by, you know, the people on the show. Uh, they came to Nashville, and they watched everybody going to this club and play all these hillbillies come in they say they'd call them hillbillies you know because they were from somewhere else and they'd say man all this talent down here there's a lot that's really bad that think they're good so maybe it's canadians created hee-haw in nashville maybe that's the what it canadians, is they were from canada um so yeah, was, we'll so was gordy they were <laughs> yeah. they were uh they created hee-haw and they but you see they the people that that did hee-haw that created it were entertainers themselves. The other fact that I didn't know this, Jim, this was crazy, that they only filmed Hee Haw twice a year. Oh, yeah. That's and crazy. did 13 shows twice a year. And then all, the, the last one is Hugh Hefner actually made a guest appearance from Hugh Hefner yeah. from Playboy. Yeah, he had, that was a girl on the show named Barbie Benton, and she was on the yeah. show. Yeah. And the first time I saw Barbie and the first time I saw, well, first time I saw Hugh I, and Archie Campbell stand, sat up against the wall. And there was this ugliest man I think I ever saw in my life. He standing up there and I, I walked past and I said, Archie, who is that ugly guy? Daggone, he's ugly. I don't know why. I just felt that he was so ugly. And Archie said, don't you know who that is? And I said, no, I don't. He said, that's Hugh Hefner. I said, Hugh Hefner, never heard of him, but he sure ain't pretty. Next thing you know, he had Barbie Benton wrapped around, and he would, you know, he would investigate his way or her way. Investigating her, yeah. Yeah, just a little. You know, just a little insert. Yeah, he Barbie no. Benton was starting. She worked right there at the Black Poodle. Barbie did? Worked Bar- well, I'm going to tell you now if you let me talk. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Stay on your paper. Oh, shut up, Jim. But she worked next door. And and uh, she loved country music, and she would come yes. over, and 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 uh, she's Jim. Can I get up and sing? Oh yeah. And I'd say yeah, and she'd have on something like a t-shirt, but it would be open from the armpit down to almost her waist. Yes. Nothing underneath it, and I'm she's standing two foot from me with her arm up singing, and that and that little old boob just booby just bouncing every little. time she moved. <laughs> And I mean, every bit of it, I could see every bit of it. And she knew it, you know, and she'd look around at me and just grin at me. And this is yeah. before she ever had a chance with hmm. Hugh Hefner it was down there on Hee Haw. Yeah, but... Uh, she then, had to come through the gym best was, finishing school. Briefly, I wanted, yeah. wanted you to tell me, because I heard you talking about something in the van, and I wanted to mention that briefly. Briefly. 
I wanted to mention this, where you were talking to Jim, and you you met Jim because you came down looking for work. You said you went to somebody and they said you was too ugly. Oh yeah, but that was I wanted a job and I was hunting for some work. What job? P- a job picking, picking, playing, and singing. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing my thing, and so I went to. The, they had a club there, and it was Pee Wee's club, and they had a lot of girl singers and all that come there to sing, and they were really good little bands and stuff there, and so I went in and I said, somebody asked me, why don't you do, uh, you know, that club, and I said, well. I will try to ask him. So I went down and I asked, and he said, no, you're just too ugly. <laughs> who, who said that, though? The guy that owned the club. Which the club Pee-wee. was it? Pee-wee's club. And you know what, Pumpkin? He was true. But because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have an arrow glass figure, and I didn't have the fluff in the front. And I understand. They wanted pretty girls singing, and I understand. I understand about that. That's a shame, though. No, I, I don't like that. But I don't care. But he at least he told the truth. Yeah, <laughs> but if you were talented and, and gifted, there's plenty of even especially today. There's plenty of uh, not as attractive mm. people. Yeah, women. but you said the key today. Back then, a lot of things were said. Just I mean, just. What the hell they thought or what the hell they, they right. looked at, they just Thank God right for then. that. Yeah. They and I, I, I respected that. I didn't get hurt feelings about that. I just realized that I wasn't the pretty girl up there. You can hide your hand and chain because, you know, with handkerchiefs flopping around. Yeah, but somebody, some, some, some woman that didn't look like what they thought was pretty at some point in history of music had to come out and say, I don't care what they say about me. I'm going to play <laughs> anyway. And they did. Well, and then next thing you know, it's the same way with actors. So there was uh-huh. actors back in the day. All the actors had to be pretty. Every one yeah. of them had to be pretty. Right. And then come, then in, can, insert can, Gene Hackman. Yeah. Right. People like Gene Hackman, Al Pacino, oh. uh, Robert De Niro, and then you got some of these guys coming in. And then that opens the door for everybody to say, "Okay, we yeah. now let's just judge them off of talent and not their looks." That's right. That's the way it should but be. It's got characters, character actors. Yeah, but not not Robert them. De Niro. <laughs> Oh, we're talking was, about we're talking about legendary actors. They weren't character actors. No, no, but there was a lot. There was this one guy that played cowboys, and he had a guy that went way out. I don't know his name, but I did the I did about four or five movies, and one was with Robert Conrad in Chicago. I did that. I've been around, and I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. I still don't like. I don't care what anybody says. I don't like it if somebody says. You're too ugly for this. You're not talented <laughs> enough for this, or you're you're too fat for this. I hate that. I, I think that's. I, I would tick me off if somebody well, said that to me today, well, and I'd I'm probably just, punch them. So I want to say bye to all y'all out there in Radio Land, and don't forget to tell your friends and neighbors about it. About what this show? Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Do you, now, before we go, do you have? Are you still playing? Yeah, I'm picking. I got a book out called called uh, Pressing On. It was uh, published by the Illinois Press, Chicago Illinois Press. And then I, a lady at Northwestern University. Where can they get the book first? You can get it down at uh, uh, Ernest Tubb or get it on Amazon. You can get a book. Your book is called what? One more time. It's called Pressing On, you know, from the ironing Pressing board. Pressing On, mm-hmm. and it's available on Amazon. Yeah, and I wanted them to say closing. I wanted them to to call it Close Encounters of the Third Grade. Right, because <laughs> that's when you married the principal. Oh, God. In the third grade. That is a close encounter. I'm going to come over here and talk to you about that someday, <laughs> about those <laughs> husbands I had. Okay, well, gang, this is what I'm going to pick for you. It's called Lonesome Road Blues. It's an old song, 
And I guess it was kind of come out in the, in the Depression years. And it's called Going Down the Road Feeling Bad. That's one way, but it's always been, you know, Lonesome Road Blues. <laughs> That he got religion in the end I'm glad that he did Now Clayton was the best guitar picker In this town Used to think he was my hero I used to follow Clayton around Did I ever screw that up? Often wonder why now Clayton Yes he was so good to me he never took his guitar and made it in Tennessee. Oh, but Daddy said he drank a lot, but I didn't understand. I know you used to play up in Ohio with the five-piece band. I often wonder why now Clayton Oh, he was so good to me But he never took his guitar And made it in Tennessee Oh, but Daddy said he drank a lot I didn't understand I did that verse a minute ago I know you used to play up in Ohio With the five-piece band 
when Clayton died, I made him a promise. Oh, I'd carry on somehow. I'd give a hundred dollars if he could just see us now. Yes, I remember the year Clayton Delaney died. Oh, man, what a great episode with Ronnie Stoneman. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for coming down and hanging out with us and telling us, man, all that history about the music and your daddy with Thomas Edison. That is something to be proud of, for sure. We appreciate everybody that continues to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and spread the love and tell people about it. We appreciate you so much for tuning in and supporting the show means the world to us thank you one more time to road for supplying the sound for this show with the roadcaster pro makes it so simple and easy we are so thankful for it god bless you